Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Richard Peterson, Head of ESG Enterprise Solution Strategy at FIS. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Theodora. Happy to be here. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to our conversations because we're going to be talking about something that not only it is a hot topic at the moment, but it's something that I know many of us are passionate about, um, current landscape of ESG reporting and regulations and what the future holds. But before we start, can you give our audience just a quick background about what you do at, at, at FIS? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, so I'm heading up, as you mentioned, I'm heading up our ESG strategy for the capital markets for all things, uh, all solutions and products here at FIS. So what that really means is sort of thinking about best ways and best practices in which we can integrate ESG initiatives, ESG data, um, basically everything ESG into all of our products and solutions in the most meaningful way. And I think we're going to get into it a bit today, but, um, you know, the industry is really in its infancy. And so it takes a, a good amount of thought leadership and a, and a lot of, you know, speaking and learning from our clients and our stakeholders to, to really think about what are those best practices and, and kind of the best ways to do this. But um, it's a lot of fun and uh, I'm enjoying it. It is indeed a lot of fun. And it's an important topic too, isn't it? Um, you did mention it is at its infancy. Um, and, and it's very much so there is a growing awareness of it is important and we need to not only start talking about it, but actually doing something about it. And so the SEC has proposed new rules to enhance and standardize climate related disclosures for investors, first and foremost, um, with information about climate related risk that are reasonably likely to have material impact on businesses, operations and financial condition. All sound and practical things that we need. And hopefully, quote unquote, we'll see some of those new rules finalized this year. The question I would like to ask you, though, is what should companies do about it? What are some of the steps that they need to take now before the new rules are finalized, just so they can be more prepared and make sure that they have all of the things in, in order um, before the rules go into effect? Yeah, so that. This is a great question. Um, I think, you know, companies are now really just sort of waking up to the fact that they need to prepare for all of the coming regulation. Um, you know, climate related risks are, are just one piece of the puzzle, right? Companies, they also have to be measuring and reporting on all things ESG. Uh, so one thing I like to say is that, you know, everything is measure, everything that's measurable isn't important, but everything that's important isn't easily measurable. Right. And we're seeing this, especially within the ESG space, because there's so many different data sets and many disparate data sets out there. Uh, so right now, it's, it's best for companies to work with their partners and their thought leaders in the space, um, really think about how to develop a strategy for ESG integration into all of their workflows and their processes. Um, and that's something we're really prioritizing here at FIS, uh, which is, you know, ESG integration all into all of our relevant products and really to amplify our solutions. And, and I mean, amplify in the sense of not just making it bigger, but making it that much better, right? Making it more meaningful. Um, thinking about different ways in which we can integrate all of these different data sets and, and using cutting edge technology like AI and machine learning, um, you know, integration as well to do so. And, and this is one of the best applications for that type of technology, we think. 
Um, so really, it's it's making things as seamless as possible for our customers with modernized dashboards and ESG data and functionality and, and really just helping them to optimize you know, their portfolios. Uh, we work a lot with asset managers. And so this, this becomes very meaningful, right? The ability to integrate and surface ESG data wherever it's relevant um, and, and learning from our customers, right? How do they want to incorporate these practices and incorporate it into their workflow? Um, so as you can tell, it's, you know, it's very much a startup environment out there um, with respect to ESG. But, you know, we have all the tools to help our clients prepare for the coming changes and the challenges that lay ahead. And we're, we're excited to be a part of it. I, I like the fact that you say we have the tools and, and oftentimes we do. Um, but let's go back to before the tool part is, is data. Because data is important, is fundamentally the ingredient that you need to feed into, not just for regulatory and compliance requirements, but also showing that, hey, I am serious about my commitment to ESG. As often, you know, people do talk about in the um, year-end report and say, oh, you know, this is our commitment to everything ESG. So, but having data is one thing. If the data is siloed, however or if they do not have the right infrastructure, or like you say, if they don't have the right partner, then knowing what data to pull and compile together and how to do it is a whole different story. So if we go yeah. all the way back to the beginning, um, how what should organizations do? Because, you know, is, as you say, this is infancy, but this is not something like, oh, let's just dig our head in the sand and hope this goes away. Eventually, <laughs> even without regulation, I, I would say investors are demanding more information. So how how do they get started? Completely agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely not going away. Um, and honestly, this is uh, the million dollar question that we're all trying to solve for right now, right? Which is how to incorporate data, um, you know, for, for ESG and, and pretty much everything, right? Data is everywhere these days, right? Think of everything that you do on a daily basis and, and you know, you can sort of make data sets out of all of that. Um, ESG presents an even greater challenge in that the data is derived from so many different disparate data sets, right? So the, the problem lies in how to integrate the data, but also how do you understand what's relevant from these big data sets? How do you take the insights that are, that are locked within and surface them you know, in a, in a quick and efficient way. Um, so it becomes increasingly necessary for companies to really think about and, and really define an ESG strategy. Um, they need to continuously and effectively demonstrate their commitment, as you mentioned, with stakeholders, with investors, et cetera, right? Through transparency of their data, their analysis of the data, the reporting, and their decision-making. Um, so it's, it's a massive challenge. Um, I think what we've done here at FIS um, we're, we're taking an agnostic approach, right? There is no quote unquote, and you can see my air quotes, <laughs> right way of doing it right now um, because there isn't a right way per se. And, you know, we're more focused on learning and understanding what the key data metrics are going to be, which is still TBD, uh, to be honest. I mean, there's a number of different regulatory bodies out there that uh, are putting out guidance as to what, you know, are the most uh, efficient ways to calculate the metrics that are most important, et cetera. But, you know, I think everyone has their own opinion and there is no real 
complete standard as of yet. So um, we, we've thought about this in a few different ways, right? First thing, we needed a data partner. Um, and so we've recently partnered with FactSet True Value Labs, which is one of the, the largest ESG uh, data providers out there. And what they are allowing us to do is enable all of our products and solutions to have ESG data, native ESG data, integration, and measurable analytics. Um, FactSet is unique out there in that they they look at they have a model or a methodology that really surrounds and looks at the surrounding data um, that, that surrounds a company. So it's not necessarily just what a company is putting out there on their own. It's really sort of everything that surrounds that company to come up with an understanding of how they are impacting the E, the S, and the G. Um, so it's a unique, it's a unique model. And we thought that was, you know, a very um good way of looking at uh, the way of the land, the lay of the land, the way of the world right now with ESG, right? Um, and to how to evaluate a company. But, you know, we're, we're open, we're agnostic to, to sort of who anyone wants to utilize. Um, but at the same time, at least we need to know we're comparing apples to apples and very often it's apples to oranges out there, right? This will all get better as <laughs> it, it's a funny, it's a funny thing, but it's true. And, and this will all get better as regulators codify their standards um, but until then, we have to work with our clients and really just define these best practices, make them um, make them meaningful, and incorporate them into our into our products. Um, so, I think there's a ways to go here, but I think we are being deliberate in that we are being open and learning from everyone that we work with. I think being open is key. Because there's still so much that we're experimenting and trying to figure out, as you say, lay of the land, um, and see how things go. But earlier, you mentioned something about artificial intelligence and leveraging emerging technology as part of how we're figuring out how to drive ESG innovation. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, happy to. Um, so, you know, data, of course, is key. Right with ESG, but but also with all of our products and solutions, big data is really just a massive initiative that we're looking to solve for. Um, AI and machine learning is one of those technologies that you know is cutting edge and is now being incorporated into basically everything uh, that we that we do. Um, a good example is we brought brought to market uh, a brand new technology, uh, a brand new product called Credit Intelligence, which utilizes AI and machine learning technology to digitize financial statement information. Um, we focused it on the private markets because as you can imagine with private companies, there's just a wealth of information and a wealth of ways to present that information that's not standardized. Um, I think we went through thousands of different companies in training this product. And um, you know, I, I think the, the interesting thing I noticed was, you know, most of the American companies tend to sort of stick to accepted ways of presenting uh, financial statements, et cetera. But a lot of the European companies that we worked with can be super duper creative with how they how they put things out there. Um, and as a private company, right, there's there's very little standards. Well, okay, as a human, you come in and you look at a, a page of financial information and you think to yourself in, in your brain, it, you understand, hey, I'm looking at a balance sheet or I'm looking at what looks like an income statement that you can kind of quickly understand what what you're looking at, but um, that's as a human, right? And if you try to incorporate that into a process, especially when things are less standardized, it can be extremely difficult. Um, this is where AI and machine learning just adds a ton of value, right? Because it is a learning model. 
in the sense that I've seen it, you know, literally grow. I, I like to compare it to, you know, sort of a child, you know, a baby getting into a, you know, a teenager, eventually a young adult and, and now an adult. And um, you kind of see how it, it slowly learns, right? But it's learning based on input and feedback that we give it uh, to learn, right? So it needs uh, human intervention to sort of grow just, just like a child does. <laughs> and um, at the end of the day, you know, we've gotten it to the point where it's over 90% accurate and it's, uh, you know, highly valuable in, in surfacing insights from financial information, right? This concept can of course be applied to ESG and, and should, right? Um, ESG is even, even more important to utilize this technology because it's so much less standardized. It's so many other different types of data sets that as a human, it, you know, you may not ever have the time, the ability, or even, um, you know, sort of the understanding of the, of the best way to process this information, let alone to see any sort of insights or kind of correlations between seemingly different data sets that shouldn't be correlated. And this is where AI can kind of come in there, crunch through the numbers very quickly, crunch through the data, you know, and then surface things in a dashboard or in some way of consuming it, um, you know, through reporting, et cetera, that can be easily consumed and lead to a much quicker decision. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think, you know, ESG is, is obviously a great application for this technology, but you're going to see this really just kind of be pervasive throughout all of uh, all of data and all of information going forward, I think. I had to chuckle when you were comparing <laughs> it to um, children learning, because recently I, I was uh, at a fintech event where I was talking to a couple of different fintechs and financial institutions. And I asked them, I said, if you think about AI and where we are right now with respect to the applications of it within financial services, are they an infant? Are they a <laughs> teenager? Are they adults? And all of them, without hesitation, they said infant. Yeah. There's yeah. so much more we can do. And It's true. Right? But it's exciting. I mean, the more you think about it, right, uh, you know, I've seen sort of, I, I'm sure you've seen ChatGBT and some of those other, you know, sort of generative AI types of applications. I mean, you think to the future, right, where it's not far off where we're going to have sort of the Star Trek model of just speaking to our appliances or a computer or our house in some way and just asking as you would, you know, your, your spouse um, for something. Right. And um, and the AI is going to utilize that information and give you what you want. Right. And uh, and you think about that from the application of financial information and, and things like this. Right. It can literally help to just create those dashboards, those reports, those analytics in quick, quick ways, you know, versus developers having to think about how to best program this. Right. Because it may be able to sort of take something from here and put it there and then correlate it and then generate this report in a matter of seconds. Whereas before you would have to really specify a product outline for that. Um, I, I think it's, it's very exciting, right? For me, I'm, I'm sort of seeing it in action and in practice. And uh, for me, it's just super exciting to watch and to learn because um, you know, this is, it really is the future. It feels like the future. <laughs> so. It is exciting. Um, I did try it recently. I think it did hallucinate a little bit. It gave me two extra degree 
that I did not have before. I'm like, okay, maybe it knows something about me that I did not know. Um, it is exciting. It is interesting. I can just imagine the amount of efficiency that the tools like those can drive from it. And I think that is key. If we are in, you know, particularly in this use case where you have, as you say, so much information and so much disparate different sources, how do we even put our arms around it and draw out what is important so we can use that as a way to gauge where we are? Which leads me to something I want to ask you. So one of the key challenges that FIs face is that as you say, different standards, different frameworks um, on what needs to be disclosed. There is the GRI standards, there is SASB standards, and earlier you speak to different jurisdictions. They might handle things differently. What are some of the efforts that are underway and hopefully can get us to more common reporting metrics, something a little bit more standard so we're not comparing apple to oranges? Yeah, I completely agree. It's a great question. Um, I mean, I think right now, really, as you mentioned, right, there, there's so many different frameworks, so many different standards out there. Um, the U.S. is now starting to sort of, you know, get on board with this and come out with their own standards as well. So the SEC is going to be announcing uh, sort of a, you know, a final draft of some ESG guidelines, ESG marketing guidelines, ESG reporting guidelines, metrics, things like this, right? But there are many other um, governing bodies out there that have put out guidance, right, for frameworks, for standards, uh, for metrics, common reporting metrics, and how to calculate them, et cetera. Um, there's typically an enormous focus on the E in ESG, right? And I think it's because it's easier to grasp, right? Um, environmental information is typically um, numbers and typically measured, right? Um, it's easier to measure. And so um, in terms of standardization on climate change, greenhouse gas emissions, sustainable use and protection of water, things like this, biodiversity, right? There, there are a bit more um, and they're all, you know, we've been measuring these things for quite a long time, right? So there's, there's more data out there and there's more accepted ways of measuring that. But when you get to the S and the G, I think that's where things get a bit wishy-washy, right? Um, I, I think you're going to see a lot more benchmarking and criteria for measurement of social impact of governance impact, right? And of course, social factors focus on, you know, company, how, how a company manages their relationships with their employees, with their communities that they serve, how they give back, et cetera. A little less easy to measure, right? Not, not impossible, but, um, but more difficult, right? How, how are they serving their communities? How are the communities benefiting from these companies and their efforts, right? Um, job creation, et cetera. And then you get into governance, right? And this is, also a bit more difficult to track and also to measure or compare and benchmark, right? When you think about company leadership and diversity, right? Executive pay and internal controls and shareholder rights and et cetera, right? It goes on, transparent compensation for employees, right? I think we're making some progress here. I know um, in some states, there is much more um, transparent reporting on compensation now. And that's thanks to a lot of these ESG initiatives that are coming out. Um, but we've, you know, we've got to go further. We will go further. There are a number of um, really good uh, regulators out there that are putting out some pieces that really help to define how to calculate some of these metrics. Um, Alpha is one of them. Uh, we've recently joined, uh, if you're not familiar with them, European Leverage Finance Association, 
they're based in London. Um, they are a nonprofit that uh, is focused on investor engagement in the ESG space. And um, they allow us to have really a seat at the table and really to advocate for our best practices among our peers and among our partners. So together, we're really striving for you know, common ways to collect the data, to standardize the data, ultimately to lead to more common reporting metrics and to get to the most important metrics, right? Based on certain workflows or certain industries, you're going to have different, different uh, gauges of what is important based on the type of industry that you work in. So I think it's just a matter of time, um, long story short, but it's all progressing and it, it makes sense, right? As the industry is in its infancy, as it grows, right? We're going to coalesce towards all of these standards and metrics becoming more accepted. And uh, eventually we get to the, the accepted ways of calculating everything. It makes sense. I, I feel like that's something that I have to keep repeating. It makes sense. This is just something we have been doing in different ways. We just don't always call it ESG. This is something that just makes business sense. Um, yeah. And yeah, it can be a little challenging, but challenges comes opportunities. So let me ask you this. Um what do you see happening next that will get you the most excited? We talk about data, we talk about reporting, we talk about metrics, we talk about action, right? As you alluded to, some of the states recently um, have more transparency in wage gap disclosure. I think that's a wonderful step towards where we would like to be as an end goal to create a more equitable society. Um, what, what gets you excited? What gets you like, wow. I wake up. Yeah. 2023 is going to be a wonderful year. Well, you know, what's funny. Um, I mean, and we mentioned it throughout, you know, sort of this, this podcast, mm-hmm. but the ambiguity of, of the space and where it is right now, it, it's fun to work in because it really, you know, helps you to sort of challenge your brain and sort of think about which way this is all going and keep on your toes, right? Because it's in flux, the standards, the regulations, the strategies, the clients, I mean, everyone is asking you different questions <laughs> um, and everyone has their own, of course, interests in mind. But at the same time, we're all trying to progress forward and get towards the best practices within this space. So the ambiguity, you know, kind of keeps me going on a day to day basis. I would, however, you know, be happy to see more meaningful and defined regulation coming in. I think when the SEC really sort of puts out their guidance, um, this is really going to be a game changer, right? Because now we're going to be talking about implementation and sort of, you know, the, the way in which we're going to be doing this more than how we should be doing it. So, um, you know, I'm excited for that. And I'm excited for regulation to sort of rein this in a bit. But at the same time, um, you know, this industry is growing. And, and so I think, no matter what, you know, some of the naysayers might say, um, you know, the train has left the station. Uh, everyone should jump on board and just and just kind of keep going <laughs> uh, because uh, it's going forward. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, ESG, no matter what you want to call it. Right. This is just prudent ways of understanding risk. And so, um, you know, in my view, it, it's a good thing to, to sort of get on board this train.
it is a good thing to get on board this train and the train will keep going with or without you. Um, I, I think that that is really interesting, but I, I, I'm just going to have to keep thinking to myself, Richard said, ambiguity <laughs> is fun. That's going to with me for a while. I'm in the strategy group. So of course, yeah. You were completely uh... <laughs> opposite of me. I, I thrive on, I need to be able to put my arms around it and the goody drive me nuts. Um, and you love it. So that's good. Uh, let's end our conversation with this. You alluded to a little bit earlier, um, regardless of how some people think about it, we're going to keep going. So recently a group of 19 Republican governors led by Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida have formed an alliance to, quote, unquote, protect individuals from the ESG movement. Curious to hear, what are your thoughts on the implications of this movement? Yeah, so I was wondering when we were going to get to this. Um, <laughs> no, Save the best for last. Of course, right. Um, so, so of course, this question I, I get asked often, right? It's kind of, you know, is ESG really going to be sticking around? I mean, there's a lot of pushback politically, et cetera, and at least in the U.S. Um, so re regardless of your political affiliation, it really um, doesn't matter. I think, honestly, if you speak with folks in the capital markets, if you speak with our clients, um, and firms that are both currently employing ESG data and metrics in their strategy, many will tell you to just ignore the noise that you hear from politicians. I tend to agree with this assessment. I mean, I, I probably you could have guessed that, but <laughs> in my opinion, when you look at all things ESG, right, um, it is, it's not a tree-hugging ex exercise here, right? It is not from the perspective of necessarily, quote-unquote, doing good, once again, air quotes, Um you know, we're really looking at things or you should be looking at things as really just assessing non-financial risk, right? That's really what this is. It's more data, right? When is more data bad? It's not. It's always good to have more data to assess your investment, to assess whatever you are looking to do, right? It's prudent investing. It's part of a fiduciary duty. Um, it's These are risk factors that have always been taken into account and will continue to be taken into account. They just may not be called ESG. So, so take, for example, um, our company, FIS, right? We're headquartered in Florida. Um, now tell me if you would, or if you should consider, you know, whether a hurricane will hit Florida and perhaps knock out our operations in, in Florida. Is that something to take into account as a risk factor? Yeah. I mean, it's a rhetorical question, um, but, but at the same time, it, it's an E, right? From the ESG, right? It's environmental. Um, and, and so it's a relatively simple example, but it's always going to be something that, you know, investment professionals will build into their risk models. So that's not going to change no matter what Ron DeSantis or any other politician uh, will look to restrict. Um, it's carved out. If you look at the fine print of some of those proposals, it's actually carved out uh, from the from the from the, the bills, et cetera, because it's a fiduciary duty. Um, and then lastly, I'll just say, if you look at some studies, right. Uh, or even studies of studies, which I've looked at, right? So, you know, you, can, you don't want to cherry pick. You want to get a whole breadth of studies, right? Overwhelmingly, uh, companies that have an ESG strategy in place, right? They've taken the time to consider all these non-financial risk factors, as well as their traditional investment risk, risk factors, right? On a whole, these companies will perform better than companies that don't take those things into account. And that's just 
it, it kind of makes common sense, right? Um, intuitively, it makes sense. But um, the better you are prepared for risk, right? No matter what category it would fall in, uh, the better you'd be prepared to mitigate that risk. And, and so at the end of the day, um, yeah, I think I'm not really deterred by the political rhetoric going on. In fact, I'm probably even more enabled <laughs> to educate folks on what ESG really truly is. I I can't agree more. It, it's it, and and you said the key word fiduciary duty because at the end of the day, you need to make sure your business is going to be a viable business going forward, regardless of whatever happens around you. So you need to know and take into account of am I sitting in a place with increased climate risk, like you say? Or the other day I saw an article talking about the Tornado Valley. Has that shifted because of everything else that's happening to our planet? And what happens to the businesses and people, um, houses that are in those areas? I mean, these are things we need to account for regardless of what we want to call it. So intuitive. I mean, uh, you know, and and if I'm an investor, I want, you know, the companies that I'm investing in to understand all of the risks that are involved, right? I would push for it. And just like anyone would, any prudent investor would, right? Um, Absolutely. This is just coming. It's just going to be the new way of doing business. And it it currently is. It's just they don't, you know, necessarily call it ESG, but it's it's there already. (laughs) We will get there. I, I love your optimism, Richard, and um, it, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I would keep this going if we don't have any constraint, but this, this is this is uh, absolutely insightful. Um, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Richard. Um, oh, thank you. No, I truly appreciate being here. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, it's been a lot of fun discussing this, and would love to do it again. Thank you. Absolutely. And for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.